Let's turn our Bibles please to Psalm 37 for our Bible reading this morning. <clears throat> the sub's filling in for the sub here today on their Bible reading. <laughs> psalm 37, I want to read the first 11 verses of this psalm. And I ask you to forgive me for the confusion last week. I had in my notes two sermons by the same same date, and a 50-50 chance I'm always going to choose the wrong one first. And that's exactly what happened. <laughs> that wasn't your fault, that was mine. I had two of them somehow with the same, same date on it, and I grabbed the wrong one. But... Uh, um, so what you were supposed to get last week, we'll get this week. But the order's not important, not significant, but I appreciate you bearing with me. Psalm 37 says, Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight thyself or yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait in the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Before I begin here, I have a thought while we were singing there. My mind was drifting some. Um, but I noticed, well, those of us that are here today, we kind of cover the whole spectrum of the area that the church lives in. I'd like to make a suggestion. We ever get a bad day like this again, and you think the roads are bad, call me. Or call one of the deacons, and they'll give you an idea of what's going on everywhere else. And because you guys are out 73, you're out 73. If you look at it, we're kind of all here from everywhere. But if you will kind of be our spotters, <laughs> as it were, that would be very helpful for me and the deacons. Because, like I said, I made a judgment call on what was in Colfax, but it's not where you were. So just if you would help out with that, that would be great. Well, um, as we, our time of our message is a biblical view of conflict. And as we see in this psalm, and we know David had a great deal of conflict, especially between him and King Saul. Uh, there was a definitely a, a conflict there that Saul and David weren't getting along. And basically it was on Saul's end of things. David still loved the king, but David didn't love, or king didn't love David because he was a threat to his throne. And David, or king, wanted, Saul wanted his son to take the throne, and God said, not going to happen. And uh, Jonathan didn't care. If you look at uh, the history there, John and David were very, very good friends, and, and Jonathan was in favor of what God was going to do. Maybe Jonathan didn't want to be the king after seeing what his dad was going through. I don't know. But, uh, but we live in a sin-cursed world. And it's inevitable that we're not always going to get along with each other. And those of us, even the married, uh, there's no perfect marriage. Uh, I even look, thought about this morning, I was thinking about this. Our relationship with Christ is a marriage. And only half of it's perfect. And that's Him. <laughs> so even in, 
even for us as believers, if I was the only one to exist in the world, there would still be a lack of peace because I'm not perfect. Only the Father is. And so we need to learn from God's Word and how to maintain peace with Him in spite of our sin nature. Of course, it's only possible through the shed blood of Christ. So we've been seeing in the past, looked at God's sovereignty and ordaining suffering. God also sends us situations in our relationships with each other that will stretch us and cause suffering in that way. So it's part of the equation as far as that goes. But so what's the definition of conflict? Here's my definition. The difference of opinion or purpose that frustrates someone's goals, goals or desires. Now James addresses this in chapter 4. We're going to look at that later. I'm not going to go into it at this point. But James makes it very clear that the conflicts, most of it what comes into my life is not anybody's fault but my own. Now, if you got two people fighting for your desires, now you got two people. But sometimes, and I've, I know I used to hear for years and years that in marriage relationships it takes two for a fight. Yeah. Um, most often that's true, but I've also learned that sometimes that's not always true. There are some individuals that just wanna want their way or the highway, and they will really challenge uh, the relationship, and so. As hard as you strive to be right before God, sometimes you're still not going to have peace because both parties don't want to do that, want to participate in that. So, so we, can, we cannot play the blame game. Most of the time when there's conflict in a relationship, we have to look to ourselves. If nothing else, we have to look at ourselves and say, what am I contributing to this? And if we eliminate, and I found this in our own relationship with my wife and I, if I take care of my half of the relation, my half of the problem, I've eliminated 50% of the stress in the relationship. And I've learned that when I take care of my half, most of the time the problem's gone because she's doing it right and I'm not. <laughs> but that's the growing process, isn't it? So the bottom line of our lack of peace with each other is, Am I going to exercise my godhood and to seek what I want, or am I going to seek to do what God wants for the benefit of the other? So we're going to address these things a little bit this morning in regard to that. You probably know individuals and heard of individuals, and I have, and it's very sad because I've done some funerals in the past where um, I remember one, it was very, very sad. Uh, a fellow in Huttonsville, he lived way at the head of a holler, uh, we picked up our children and brought them to church for a little while. My wife drove all the way up there to get them. And, uh, but their father passed away. And uh, they asked me to do the funeral. And uh, it was sad. Only four showed up. The rest of the family had abandoned her because of the conflict that had developed. And nobody would forgive. <coughs> now that's sad. And, and I've that's the only one I've been personally involved in, but I've heard of others the same way, where family won't talk for years. And they can't even remember what they got mad over. They just know there was something. 
How sad is that? That's not what God wants. That should never exist among professing believers. So let's look at some of the primary causes of conflict between us. Let's turn to Joshua chapter 22. The first one is poor communication. I know no one in this room has that problem, right? You guys know exactly what your wife is thinking. You know exactly where she's coming from. And so there's no problem with communication, all right? And you gals the same way. I mean, you get it all worked out, right? And if you say yes, I know you're lying. <laughs> yeah, but the women have it all worked out. Um, in fact, in... Uh, Gary Small, we used some of his videos and, and marriage training in the past. And, and he said, men, you need to look at your wife as the training, the marriage uh, training manual. Ask her. She's got all the answers. Just follow what she says. Now, there's some truth to that. What he's saying is, it's not about me. It's about your wife. What does she need? What does she want? cater her, unless she's asking you to do something sinful, just do what she wants, and it will take a lot of stress out of a marriage, and it does. But poor communication. Now, we're not going to read the whole chapter. You can read it when you go home. But let me refresh your memory, and then we'll look at two verses, and then a couple others at the end of the chapter. Israel's now into the Promised Land. They have two and a half tribes on one side of the Jordan. The others are on the other side. Uh, in uh, verse 10, we got Reuben, Manasseh, um, what's the other one? The half-tribe is, yeah, Manasseh's the half-tribe. Reuben, what's the other one? Gad, thank you. Are on one side of the river, Manasseh split with the Jordan in the middle. And the first thing these two and a half tribes do is they set up an altar. And the other tribes say, whoa, we just conquered all these evil gods, and you are already setting up an altar to the wrong god. You know what they were going to do? Go in there and wipe them out. We're done with you. Lack of communication. Verse 11 and 12 says, Now the children of Israel heard someone say, Behold the children of Reuben. The children say, Behold the children of Reuben. The children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built an altar on the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region of the Jordan on the children's Israel's side. And when the children of Israel heard of it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered together to shout to go to war against them. Well, we find later that they sat down and talked with them, verse 28 and 29 of the same chapter. Therefore we said that it will be when they say this is to, our, to us and to our generations in time to come that we may say, here is the replica of the altar of the Lord which our fathers made, though not for burnt offerings nor for sacrifices, but it is a witness between you and us. Far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn following the Lord this day to build an altar for burnt offerings or for grain offerings or for sacrifices besides the altar of the Lord our God, which is before his tabernacle. The communication became complete. This is to remind us that we're connected to you. The river does not divide us. We have the same God. The problem was resolved due to proper communication. How many times in our own marriages have we 
had a breakdown in relationship due to lack of communication. I don't know about you, and I'm trying to get away from doing this, and I still do it some, and it frustrates me because I know I shouldn't do it, and I do it. But how many times do we assume our wife knows what we're thinking? Or our husband knows what we're thinking? I mean, after 39 years, 38 years of marriage, surely you know what I'm thinking. You know, sometimes not, sometimes yes. But better never to assume anything and inquire and ask questions and make sure everybody's on the same page. And that is very important. The next one is differences in values, goals, interests, priorities, expectations, preferences, opinions, etc. Now let's go to Acts 15. There's another very popular situation there that was a lack of Acts 15. We looked at this in Sunday school here not too long ago. Again, if you don't come to Sunday school, you're missing out on a great Bible study. But we find here, then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. And Paul took Silas and he departed and commended the brothers of grace. Barnabas and Paul went separate ways and they had a very serious contention. Apparently, they did not get it resolved in a very smooth manner. There was a difference, of, and basically they were arguing over Mark. Mark somehow was not holding up to Paul's expectations. Now, we don't have any details, so we don't know exactly what it was. But knowing Paul, I think we know enough about Paul. Paul has some very high expectations as to a servant of God. And if you didn't measure up, he didn't want you. He didn't need you. And so he, now praise the Lord, later he called for Mark. says, I need Mark. So Mark somehow along the way grew as a result of it, which is the whole point of these things, but to grow through them. Now, again, we don't know all the details, but that list that I have there of our values and our goals, our interests, our priorities, our preferences, they can all be different and not be sinful, and we can still work together. In fact, we'll look at that as we go along here, but I, I think, I don't know about you, but I, and I mentioned this maybe last week or a couple weeks ago at some point. Uh, in fact, I think we're talking about Sunday night maybe. Some of you, have you ever been to a, a, what we would call a mega church? Like a couple thousand. Okay? A couple of you. The biggest one I was ever in was in uh, Lynchburg, Virginia, Jerry Falwell's church. At that point in time, I don't know how big they are now, this has been to over 25 years ago. Because, yeah, it was actually over 30 because my son was only two or three at the time because he was still carrying his blankie uh, with him. Because we, When we went to the nursery, I'm not exaggerating one bit, I don't know how long that hallway was, but the nursery was broke up into zero to three months, four to six months for a hallway that was longer than this building. Their attendance at that time was 15,000. 
I don't think we had that many in Fairmont. 15,000 people working together in a unified way to reach their community for Christ. Folks, there's only one explanation for that. Jesus Christ bringing all that much humanity together, all that human nature together. I cannot imagine as a pastor how that's possible. I, I don't think I'll ever pastor a church that big. <laughs> I wouldn't know where to begin. But the point is this. God has created us with great diversity. Do you think everybody in that church was the same? All 15,000 were different. Every one of them was different. And so we need to appreciate that God has not meant to create us the same. And so our conflicts can greatly enhance if we look at it from the perspective of God and we line up our goals and our values to line up with Him. So we really need to appreciate our differences and not look at them as though, what's wrong with you? In fact, doesn't the world do that somewhat? Isn't it sad how that someone can be a little bit different physically? And what do kids tend to do? And actually, I've seen adults do it too. Pick on someone because they're not all there, maybe mentally, or they look a little bit different. It's sad. But God has made us all unique and different, and we need to accept that. Another area is competition over limited resources, such as money and possessions. This is, can be very especially true in family settings. One of the top three areas where a marriage will strain out is in the area of finances. Usually a husband wants to spend the money on his toys and the wife wants to spend the money on the bills and get them paid. Now I say that because I've counseled too many couples that that's the way it was. I think it's a shame for the men to be that way, but I hope we are different than that in our own situation. But money can really strain out. But competition over resources. Um, and it can be simple things even. Um, and if you want to test yourself to see kind of where you're at at this, um, let's say you're laying in bed watching television together and your wife says, you know, I'd like, I'd like some ice cream. Yeah, that sounds good. I'll go get it, honey. So you get out there and you take the scoop and you scoop up some ice cream and you stick it in a bowl. And, and then when you're walking to the bed, you're looking, oh, this one's a little bit bigger. But if I walk in there, I'm going to do this because I want the bigger one. <laughs> it's simple, but it's a point, doesn't it? We're competing for the bigger, the better, whatever, why. It's a simple thing, but we ought to look at and don't want to compete with things. And sometime in a workplace, you'll see it develop and you'll call it politics. Any politics in your job? People fighting, climbing over each other, trying to climb over each other to get to a higher level, that's competition. That's really not necessary. In fact, if, if I don't know if you've ever been in this position, but in the place where I worked before we ran for college, 
there are two or three times when I would uh, sign up for a job change or job promotion and I'd been there for three or four years and was very talented what I do and said this is mine didn't get it you ever been in that place on a job and I was disappointed but somewhere in there and early on and I don't remember who taught me this but it was very very beneficial if God wanted me to have that position where would I have gotten it absolutely so if I didn't get it, it's no big deal. And that's where I learned at that point in time that my job was more than just a job. It was a ministry. And I did see where if I had gotten this position, I would not have worked side by side with this man that I had an opportunity to share Jesus Christ with. So God loved me there because he knew this, this was going to open up and I need to capitalize on it. What's more important, the promotion or sharing Christ with someone? And so we need to not be worried about the competition or the politics. But in our sin nature and our selfish attitudes, we attempt to want to take control of events. We want control. And in light of that, let's first turn to 1 John 1, 9. I think this is probably one of the biggest things that creates problems here because of what we talked about again this morning in our, our Sunday school lesson a bit about me exerting my Godhood. We'll develop that a little bit more as we go along here again just as a reminder but we all have this what I call the Cinderella syndrome. We have in our mind what my life should look like. I have in my mind what I want my life to look like. How many of our lives have gone exactly the way we thought it would go? When you laid out your plan for life, has it fallen into place? No, and it was never meant to. But where we create problems with ourselves and with everybody else around us is... You're not cooperating with, the, with my lifestyle as I have it planned. That's how marriages fall apart. Uh, Brother Tripp married a couple and uh, literally the very next morning the bride was on his doorstep banging on the door in tears said this is not the man I married the first night of marriage he revealed some things about his character that she was not happy about and he said honey praise the Lord praise the Lord and he said will you quit saying praise the Lord this is not good he said it is great it takes most marriages 10 to 15 years to figure that out you learned it the first night now we can build your marriage the way God wants it to. You go back to your husband, you come back, and we'll build your marriage. Because we have this conception in our mind of what our marriage is going to look like. And when he doesn't shape up to be that knight in shining armor, 
They would try to manipulate and control him to get him to be that man. And we do the same thing with the wife. She's not our, our princess anymore, our queen. And so we try to manipulate her to become what we want her as a control issue. It's just accepting things as God had it planned. So our, we are seeking to exercise our godhood that came with Adam. Isn't that why he took the fruit? I want to be like God. And we've been doing that ever since. And 1 John 1 8 says this If we say we do not have sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. That is a very big warning for us when we have issues. Are we willing to admit that I am a big part of this problem? Or are we deceiving ourselves that I am right, you are wrong, comply? Every conflict we will experience in our lives will fit into one of these four areas. And whatever the relationship is, whether it be someone at work, a marriage, on the job, in the church, when we sense that there's a strain in the relationship, we need to ask ourselves, am I contributing any one of these four areas to this <coughs> falling apart of the relationship? If it is, then we need to fix ourselves first. This is where I am wrong. We go to that person and say, please forgive me. I have been trying to press for my goals, my values, my way, and I am wrong. Please forgive me. Now, may I talk to you about some concerns I have with you? But you better humble yourself first and take care of your side of it first. So look at some positive negatives about this. Conflict does not have to be bad. It's war is terrible, and I, I've never been in a firefight. I've never been in. I've never been in a service, but we see it on the news every day. So we have some kind of an idea of what it is for a soldier to go into a firefight. I cannot imagine what it must be like for bombs going every bullets flying everywhere. I just can't imagine that. But look at how many great things have come out of war. Most of our great medicine have come from trying to keep our soldiers alive and it's been passed on to us in our hospitals. Nations have been freed so they can preach the gospel. Great medicines have come out of these things. Conflict can be good. We'll develop this more as we go along, but Again, on the area of diversity, we're not going to take time to read the whole chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about the body of Christ. And we've been talking about that on Sunday night. And again, if you don't come Sunday night to study with us, we encourage you to do so. But the body. And we asked this question when we were studying this. How many different parts make up our body? There's 206 bones alone. How many organs are inside our abdomen? <laughs> Every part is different. And I forget the number of cells that make up our body. So I'm like, 
one trillion cells or something to make up the whole body. Every cell is different. Every cell has its function. What if your liver started acting like a kidney? Now, Mike would probably, well, no, because you need your liver too. But Yeah. Can't do both, unfortunately, but what if what happens when a part of our body doesn't function well? That affects the whole body. But there's diversity there. And we need that diversity in order to function well. In our families, we need to function with diversity. Now, I don't know, not everybody's had any large families today, but, you know, look at these families. In fact, I think Brianna was watching one here a while back on a, that extreme home makeover, I think. They had like 16 kids, you know. That, that's unheard of today, but it still does happen. But each, those parents loved each one and saw each one added something to the family. It wasn't, oh, another kid. Oh, wow. They wanted these kids because of the diversity they were bringing to the family. And if you as a parent expected, in fact, I, I counseled a, 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 a father one time. He expected both of his boys to be the same and to act like he did when he was a kid. I had to try to teach him. Throw that thought right out of the window because your kids are not going to be the same as you. He was so frustrated because his kids wouldn't obey like he did when he was a kid. We're all different. Accept that. We're all going to have different opinions and ideas and convictions and all these things. And diversity is meant to stimulate growth. How many things have changed because of all the ideas that came together? In fact, how many have ever been in a brainstorming session? You just, whatever's out there, spit it out. We'll figure out if it's worth something. And how many good things came out of brainstorming sessions? Things that said, where did that come from? That's a great idea. Let's do that. Diversity, change, it's good. Most of us don't like change, but change can be very, very good and very, very beneficial. And so in, pretty soon in April, we're going to start working on our five-year growth program. We're going to do some brainstorming. I encourage you, if you'd like to be part of this growth program, let me know or one of the deacons know, because in about in April, we're going to get started. And we're thinking five years down the road, and we need your ideas. If the whole church wanted to be involved, we'd find some way for all of us to get together, because we need everybody's ideas. How many... Well, I look at Jim, and, and his ministry there at the mission is not going really great right now, but... I commend Jim for wanting to do it. It was a new idea. He said, let's see if we can help those guys out there with addictions. And so, whatever he's done, it's been, what, maybe six, eight months now, I think. He's been teaching the Word and help. And, and I, there's one, I was just telling him earlier today, Josh, I preach there once a, once a month at the mission, and, and he just came out of the way and said, Pastor, I want to thank you for starting this addiction thing on Thursday night. I'm really finding it a blessing and encouragement to me. Now Jim needs to hear that right now because most of them don't want to be there. 
They have to be there, so they're there. You ever try to teach a group that doesn't really want to be there? <laughs> not easy, is it, teachers? It's not easy. So it, it's a challenge. It's very, very difficult. But nevertheless, a new ministry came out of something that happened in somebody else's life. And we'll continue. How many books have been written? How many videos have been put together? Because I had this conflict in my life and I can share this with somebody else so they can benefit from it. Lots and lots of materials are out there as a result. And in some cases for me, I don't know what it is to be addicted. But I can read books about those who have been and I can get a little bit of an inkling what it's like, and I can draw on their experience to help me with those who are. All these things are good. In fact, what is this book good at doing? Bringing peace. Resolving conflicts. Because isn't that the theme of the whole thing? What is our number one conflict? It's with Almighty God. And Almighty God wants peace. And so he gave us a book. And it basically goes like this. What works between him and I works between you and I. But we must be certain that we don't run away from a conflict. We are encouraged to accept each other with our God-given diversity. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Now this is a lengthy passage here, but I'm going to read it. Listen carefully. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Do you get the idea in just these verses that God expects us to really work hard toward unity? Absolutely. But, I, Mike was emphasizing that word, but. I've gotten in a habit of every time I see that word but, but I circle it. Because what does that word but mean? But there's a change coming. There's a needed change coming. But to each of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended. What does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things that he might give. And he, he himself gave some to be notice of diversity. Apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. For what purpose? 
for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children. Now, why would he put that in there? Do children get along? Not usually. Why? Because it's all about me. Tossed to and fro, carried with a, about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. See, get the point there? We're trying to manipulate those around us to get what we want. That's what children do. And if we're acting that way, we're acting like a child. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things unto him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effect of working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Now, Verse 7, the first three words or letters we read, but, led all the way to the last sentence. It causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Conflict is for our benefit. We don't want uniformity completely within the church. The only part of our diversity that we do not want to accept is our sin. As we work through the diversities that God has given us, we become more knitted together, as we see here in verse 16. In fact, I guess if you look at the illustration of knitting, if all that thread or yarn or whatever it is you want to call it stayed together, it wouldn't come together. It's got to bend. It's got to work together to make a cloth. But it can become, in fact, I used to uh, use a sermon illustration several years ago. In fact, I can't remember who it was this last year. So I remember when you preached that 25, oh, I know, it was Pastor Peterson when he was here. We preached here, and I used that illustration here as a missionary. I took a, a piece of manila rope that has all these strands to it, and then there's the strands inside the strands. And if you take the strands apart, you can just break them easy. It's like thread. But you put those bands together and you pull on it, you'll never, you could pull a car with it, you won't break it. When we as a church family bind together, when we as a family bind together, when we in our place of, wor of work bind together, unified on a common goal, accepting our diversities, it makes us so strong. So we want, we want that diversity to work with us. But, again, get in the habit every time you see that word but in your Bible, circle it. There's a change coming, and it's good. But most of us don't like change. Look at history, it proves it. But change is good. Our families grow through change. Where would our nation be today if we re resisted change? What if our nation said... What's Ford got? That horseless buggy. Do we really want that? Or Orville Wright? Those guys are crazy to want to fly. 
Why do they want to get their feet off the ground? You get what I'm saying, don't you? How much change is there taking place? Man, there's people still alive today when they remember there wasn't any television. Can you imagine what it must be like for some of these individuals that are in their hundreds now that and if you sit down and talk with them, they'll tell you. My, the change that has taken place in my lifetime. The technology has changed history. Nations grow through it. It's through all these changes, really, our nation became prosperous. Churches grow. Businesses grow. Nations grow. Negatively, now let's turn to James chapter 4. This is where we really need to put the emphasis because this is where the problem lies. At least with me. Maybe you're different than I am. But I doubt it. Because you have a sin nature just like I do. James asked the question. Verse 1 of chapter 4. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Where do the conflicts come between a husband and wife and between neighbors and, and, and fellow employees and in the church and wherever it is? Where does it come from? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? What if you've got some secret sin it's just between you and God nobody knows but you and him maybe not even your spouse but what if you want that so bad what's that make you like inside cranky miserable a little sensitive yeah it does doesn't it why? Because the battle is beginning between you and God. And if you don't set it there, you're going to take it out on your spouse, or let's put it this way, you're going to take it out on everybody that's in your world. So maybe the question we need to ask our spouse when they're a little bit on the irritable side, what are you fighting on? What are you God arguing over? When we really want that question asked, mm -hmm. But we do need to have it asked if we're not asking it, don't we? In fact, remember when Adam and Eve sinned? Adam, where are you? God knew where he was. Adam hadn't really figured out where he was yet. He was asking, Adam, where are you now in our relationship? Who told you you were naked? He needed to reflect upon himself as to why he did what he did. And what did he try to do? What did they immediately try to do? They tried to come up with their sin with fig leaves. How well did that work? Can you imagine sitting down, oops, there goes my fig leaf that tore. <laughs> but when Christ covered him with the hides of an animal and said, blood, it was permanent, it was good, and it was that's what the picture was. problem. You lust and do not have. You murder and covet. You say, well, Pastor, I've never murdered. Have you ever been angry? God puts anger and murder in the same category because you can't murder unless you're angry. 
It's the seed that brings the murder. So, if we've been angry, he puts it in the same category. We covet and we cannot obtain. Therefore, we make you fight and you war and you covet, yet you do not have because you do not ask. Most of our conflict begins with me. You need to put a big me over verse 1. That's why we need to renew our minds from Romans 12, 1 and 2. That's why we need to realign our values. In fact, let's turn to Colossians chapter 3. See what that's all about. How do we realign our values? Colossians 3, 1 and 2 says, If then you be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Why do I want to seek things that are above? Because that's what lasts forever. Now, folks, aren't we richly blessed here today? We have wheels that got us here. Our wheels are going to take us home to a nice, warm, cozy home that we didn't want to leave this morning. You know, we were like a groundhog sticking a nose. No, I ain't going out there today. It's cold. It's snowy. I just want, anybody want, yep. You just want to pull a cover over your head and you want to hibernate for the day and say, due to the lack of interest, today's been canceled, right? You ever done that? Yeah, we do. <laughs> we do. But we're here because this is where God wants us. Changing our value system. Where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God, setting your mind on things above, not on things on earth. We can accumulate a lot of wealth, and we all have it. Yeah, in this room alone, I don't know where our wealth is, because I don't know how much you make or what you got, but I've been most of your homes, and, and you got most. In fact, compared to people in Haiti, I have nothing to complain about, do you? These people have been living in tents since the earthquake. How long has that been? Four years now? Did they really? Can you imagine living in a tent for four years? Can you imagine living in this in a tent? In fact, I was commenting with a, a guy yesterday. It, it just blows my mind how God enables the animals, the creatures out there to live in this environment. You and I would survive 15 minutes we died of hypothermia. Amazing, but nevertheless, we are blessed people. But I don't know about you, I'd give it up in a heartbeat to go home today, would you? If the Lord said, I'm coming back at noon on February 3rd, and we could say, hold up, Lord, not yet, I've got things I want to do. No, no, Lord, can you come a little early? I'm, I'm ready to go. I don't want to be late. I like to get places 15 minutes early. Lord, if you're going to come at noon, come at 11.45. I don't want to be late, right? I'm ready to go. There's nothing here I want to stay for. I know there's a far better place. In fact, I think of John who's gone home to the Lord. I wish we could all join him right now. You know, I, I, I know we put a big stigma on someone taking their own life, but I don't look at it, him taking their own life. He's just gone home to be the Lord. The means of death is not important at this point. It really doesn't matter. Was it wrong? Yes, it was. But I know he knew where he was going. 
And how many of us here long to get there to be relieved of our pains and our difficulties and our illnesses? It will come one day. So our sin nature will seek a way to overlook the conflict. We don't want to go for someone and stand before them and say, we need to talk. We'll seek to find a way to escape it or else we'll attack it. That's the only two ways we'll go. We'll either ignore it or we'll attack it. And neither one of them is right. They're both wrong. Now by attack, I mean viciously in an ungodly manner because we do need to approach that because our, our Lord did, didn't he? Can you imagine being tempted by Satan himself? I could not imagine that. But what did our Lord do? Did he turn his back on him? He faced him. In fact, uh, Brianna is getting ready for VBS and this year the theme is the, the armor of God. Have you ever noticed the armor that God has given us? Helmet, shield, sword, feet shod, Nothing to protect the back. God does not expect us to turn tail and run from our conflict. He expects us to face it head on. And it's a battle that we can win. Otherwise, he would say, hey, get up. But when we use the sword and the faith and all that armor, we can win the conflict. And we can come out the victor. Matthew chapter 4, the Lord quoted scripture. How well do we know the scriptures? It's very disturbing when individuals claim to be Christians, yet they won't go to the word of God to resolve the issue. We must pursue our conflict with biblical peacemaking responses. So we should never view a conflict as an inconvenience or a power play, but demonstrate our love for God. Mark 12, 30. Love the Lord with all of our soul. That's our value system that we talked about. See the power of God at work in our sanctification process. Philippians 4.13 I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So there's nothing beyond His ability to take care of. But if we short circuit the situation by ignoring it or coming up with our own plan it won't work. Our goal is to glorify and please God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whatsoever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. See, that gets me out of the way, doesn't it? God, this is not about me. This is all about you. How can I glorify you? And I think I showed you last week, and I'll share it again just in case you might not have been here. There's a man who was a young Christian. On his, in his place of business, he had his rights. On a particular issue, I can't remember what the exact issue was. I just remember the outcome that was a, it was a blessing. Somehow there's a $5,000 thing involved. And I think what it was was somebody in the business owed him because of something he did or didn't do. And he was suing them. And he went and talked to his pastor and he said, you are now a new Christian. You're trying to witness to your friends at work. How is this going to look before them that you are suing them? Is this really going to matter when you get to heaven? 
He went home and thought about that, and then went into work the next day and said, went to him and said, you know, I'm dropping the lawsuit. No big deal. I don't care. As a result of it, in the next year, he led three of his fellow workmen to Christ. Because it wasn't all about me. It was all about him. And they saw Christ. So sometimes we have our rights. But is it really worth it? So we need to draw near to God. James chapter 4. The last passage we'll look at this morning. He gives more grace. Therefore he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. How many of us want more grace in our life? There's only one way to get it. You and I have to be more humble. I believe it works this way. The more humble I get, the more grace comes in. If I get proud, it goes this way. I have to keep myself humble, number one, before Him, and then before each other. That gives me the divine ability to do things that I can't do on my own. Because what's this, what's this sinful flesh going to want to do? Be selfish. Be me. Be the king. But when I put him first, that puts me in the grave where I belong and brings him out of the grave where I can draw on his grace. And you and I cannot do that just because you're a pastor or a deacon or a Sunday school teacher or a Christian for 30 years. That means every one of us need to do it on a daily basis. Not paying attention to who we are because we are nobody. And draw near to God. When we wake up in the morning, the first thing that should be coming to our mind, God, help me today to be near you all day long. Because when I get away from you, then I get proud and I'm going to do stupid stuff. Right? When we do stupid stuff, who's to blame? Can't blame my wife. I'd like to. Adam tried. In fact, no, Adam blamed God. Eve blamed the serpent. And Adam said, that woman you gave me. You know, I was thinking, how bold can you be? Right? But stop and think of it. Don't we do the same thing? In reality, I do the same thing. I want to put the blame on God. God, you put that in my life. Whose fault was that? You could have kept that from me. You ever think about that? Yep, we do it. I know you do. So we can't say, well, that was bold of Adam. Well, we do the same thing. It's our choice how we view our conflicts. We want to use our conflicts as peace building. Edification in our life. A development of our relationship with Him. When we do, we'll see it as awesome. Now we could do it our way. What's the outcome going to be like? Been there, done that? How, how good was it? Wasn't real good, was it? Now, we could do it God's way. It's going to be hard too. But what's the outcome going to be like? It's going to be so much better. So much more profitable. So much more beneficial. The level of peace is going to skyrocket. 
and be there longer. God's way won't be easy, but circle that word but in your mind, because I just said it, you can't, and I want you to circle my mouth, you know, but but that will always be a better outcome. That's what the Word of God says. Got to do it His way. It will please God in the end. That's what we're wanting to accomplish. Please Him above all else. That's all that matters. Let's pray. Father, we live in a world that's upside down. No peace. We long for that peace. Thank you for the personal peace that we have with you and can have. And Lord, may we strive for that every day because if we're at peace with you, we're going to live at peace with those that you have put in our lives and our families, our jobs, our neighborhoods, our churches, whatever it be. And we will reflect Christ. Maybe there's someone at work that we need to go apologize to and ask them to forgive us for the way we've spoken to them or the attitude that we displayed before them. And, and maybe we've tried to step on them to get what we want. Perhaps we need to do that in our families, maybe in our neighborhoods, maybe in our churches. Help us, Father, to view conflict as a part of our sanctification process. Accept each other's diversities and, and the blessings of how you've put us together we might bind together and accomplish that which you would have us to. And we ask these things in our Savior's name. Amen.